John chapter 9. You guys have been through it with us. Question about a man born blind. Was it his sins? Parents know so that God's works can be made manifest. Jesus said we have to work while it is day. The night's coming and no man can work as long as I'm in the world. I'm the light of the world. Talks to the guy. So far it's the only time he's heard his voice. The man has been born blind. So hearing is his acute sense. And the voice says, puts his mud on his eyes. He doesn't know what it is. Doesn't know Jesus spit and made the mud. And he says, go on down to the pool of Siloam and wash. Pool of the sent one. And uh, he goes down, he washes, and it says he comes back seeing. Friends and relatives don't know what to do with him. He gets drugged to the Pharisees. They don't know what to do with him. Uh, they're in a debate amongst themselves. The guy that healed him, he, he can't be, you know, from God because he, he's doing this stuff on the Sabbath. He's a Sabbath breaker. And then the other group of the Pharisees are saying, well, how can somebody who's a sinner open the eyes of the blind? So they grab the guy. You tell us again. I was blind. Now I see. The guy told me to go wash. I think he's a prophet. So they don't believe him that he was actually blind. Isn't that a bummer? For all those years, then you finally get your sight and they won't believe you do. Or you were. So they said, get his parents. So they drug the parents in. They said, you say that this is your son, that he was born blind. Now he sees. What happened here? They said, look, we, we know it's our son. We know he was born blind. But after that, we weren't there. We don't know how it happened. We don't know. They said, because they were afraid the Jews had come down so hard on Christ and his followers, they already decided that anyone who admitted Jesus was the Messiah would be excommunicated, put out of the church. The ban would be on them. He says he, they say, he can speak. Ask him. And he says, what are you asking me for again? I was blind. You guys must be deaf. <laughs> I already told you, you know. Well, maybe you're asking me again because you want to be his disciples. Now, steam blows out of their ears at that point in time. And they say, we're Moses' disciples. We're not this guy's disciple. We don't know where he's from. The blind guy says, really? Isn't that amazing? You, this guy has opened my eyes, and you don't know where he's from. We know that God doesn't hear sinners, but if a man is righteous, walks with him, God hears that person. Now, in our history... He's going to give them an Old Testament lesson. Has it ever been written anywhere that someone who was born blind had their eyes open? Then, if that's true, this man can't be a sinner because God heard his prayers. And then they get really angry and they say, how dare you? You're teaching us theology. Who do you think you are, you country bumpkin? You're out of here. And in verse 34, it says they threw him out. They excommunicated him. They kicked the guy out. Now, that's where we are at this point. Verse 35 picks up the conclusion of our record. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I am come into this, this world 
that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. Now some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said unto them, Well, if you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. Remarkable. This guy gets thrown out of, doesn't say the temple, wherever this group has gathered together, part of the Sanhedrin, they throw him out. Doesn't say he goes to the temple. He's excommunicated. We don't know if he does that, but he's out. The guy's got to be thinking, what? You know, Lord, you, you, you healed me my first day. All I do is look at people who don't believe me and don't like me. You know, I've been waiting to see their faces this long. I don't know if I want to see them anymore. And, you know, and who is this guy, Jesus? Why are they so angry at him? What did he do? Where is he? I like to ask him. I, I don't know what he looks like. Of course not. He was blind. He says, and my parents, you know, can I go home? I'm excommunicated. Would they even take me in? So you can imagine all of this rolling through this guy's mind between the time when they throw him out and when Christ comes to him. And we have this remarkable picture here in verse 35. And it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Now the next chapter is going to tell us, Jesus is going to say, I am the good shepherd. And we're certainly seeing that here. In fact, it says where it says they cast him out, Jesus uses that in the next chapter. And he, in verse 4, he says, When he putteth forth his own sheep, talking about the shepherd, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, and notice, for they know his voice. When he putteth forth his own sheep is the same phrase, and they cast him out. In the one context, it's extremely negative. They threw the guy out. In the other context of a shepherd, to put them forth is to separate them from the other people's sheep and goats, to collect them, and then to go before them and lead them. And it says, because the sheep know his voice. And Jesus certainly stepping into the picture here as the good shepherd, as the one who is hearing, the one who is finding, and the one then who is asking. Now, Jesus heard. He's divine, so we're not sure exactly how that happened. Jesus found him. It wasn't like, gee, I wonder where he is. No, no, he's the son of God. He found him means that he came to him. And then he asks him a question. Dost thou believe in the son of God? Now, in that sentence there, understand, this is the first time the blind man has heard his voice since he said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. It's the only time Jesus said anything to him. Does he recognize the voice? We're not told. I'm sure it's, it startles him. Dost thou believe in the Son of God? And in that sentence, the word thou is emphatic. And the sense of that is, do you, you for yourself, thou, do you for yourself believe in the Son of God? In other words, the Lord's pushing him for a personal decision. 
you for yourself. Your wife can't do it for you, your husband can't, your friend can't do it for you, your kids can't do it for you, classmates can't do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. A priest or a pastor can't do it for you. Do you, as for yourself, when you're alone, do you believe in the Son of God? Everybody will be asked that question, and it is the unavoidable question, and only you can determine how you'll answer it. Every human that's ever lived will give an account to that question. Multitudes at the great white throne, but multitudes come to Christ in faith as well. Now it's interesting, Jesus doesn't say, do you believe in me? He says, do you believe in the Son of God? Now some of your translations say, do you believe in the Son of Man? And in the Jewish mind, the Son of Man would take them back to Daniel chapter 7. And in the Jewish mind, the Son of Man would be the Messiah. Because they expected him to come in human form. John, when he signs off at the end of the gospel here, he says, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, the story of the blind man, that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. In the first chapter, twice he's called the Son of God. John the Baptist um, says here, And I saw, we're asking him, and bear record, the one the Spirit's descending on, and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Nathaniel, further, when he comes to him, Nathaniel answers the question pointing to the Lord, and Nathaniel answered and said, Rabbi, Thou art the Son of God. Certainly in chapter 3, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, and whosoever believed in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. In chapter 5, remarkably, we read, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so he hath given the Son to have life in himself. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. So in those three verses, twice he calls himself the Son of God, then he calls himself the Son of Man. The idea as we go on, you'll find out as you go through uh, the gospel that there are different places, 10, 36, 11, 4, and so forth, where he identifies himself as the Son of God. The outcome's the same. If this is a Jew who believes Messiah, 
the Christ, that's what the synagogue, the, the temple said, anybody who, who says that Jesus is Messiah, the Christ, you know anyone, they're out. When this man hears this about the Son of God, he no doubt has it in that context in his mind. Jesus knows that. That's why he asked the question that way. There's a manuscript argument there. He doesn't say, do you believe on me? He says, do you believe on the Son of God or the Son of Man? And you see, I think Jesus now finally getting this guy. This whole chapter, we'll talk about it. All of the details... He only hears his voice again at this point in time after this whole thing has transpired. You, as for yourself, do you believe on the Son of God? Now, Jesus is asking him that question, no doubt, because the blind man is tempted to come to a conclusion that his biggest problem in life is over. Imagine being blind your whole life, you receive your sight, Sometimes in our lives, we're tempted to think everything's okay now. You know, you know, have your health, that's all you need, you know. Or, you know, you have this, you have a good reputation. People, all, no, no, Jesus knows. This guy's tempted to think that. He's tempted to come to the conclusion, I can see, now my problems are over. But that conclusion is wrong because it doesn't take eternity into the equation. It does not take eternity into the equation. And Jesus knew he could see physically, but he didn't yet see spiritually. And that's where eternal life is. So he says to him, do you believe? He challenges them. And verse 36, the man does this. He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him. Who is he? I didn't even say where. Who is he? Answering, and he calls him Lord. Who is he Lord? Now, down in verse 38, he's going to call him Lord again, but it'd be very different. In the, in the Greek grammar, the word Lord can simply mean sir. And it would seem in this verse, 36, that's what he's saying. It's a, it's a word of respect. He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, sir, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, verse 37, you have to imagine. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. He says, You have seen him, perfect tense, and are still seeing him with present results. And he's the one that is speaking to your present tense now. So you have to, you know, the guy's looking, where is he? That I might believe on him. And Jesus says, you're looking at him, bub. You know, who is he? You know, you're looking at him. Look, the Pharisees had seen Jesus. They had not seen the Son of God. The Pharisees had looked right at this person and they had seen Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's son. They had not seen the Son of God. This blind man still is spiritually blind. 
and Jesus is revealing himself to him. Long chapter. This one who is cast out of the religious community. He's cast out of the respectful, quote-unquote, standing religious world, religious community, and it throws him out because he's, he's saying this one Jesus. Now look, he's on a journey too. First he tells him, well, a man told, named Jesus told me to do it. Then he says to the Pharisees, well, I think he's a prophet. And then he says in verse 33, no, he's a man of God because God heard him. And now finally he's going to say, Lord. His spiritual vision will be cleared as well. The second healing of his sight will take place. And you think, what was this like? He says, thou hast seen him, again with a perfect tense, and are still seeing him. And it is he that is presently talking with you. Now his eyes have to be transfixed on the face of Jesus. Did Jesus lean in when he said this to him? Did he take his cheeks? Did he hold them? Did he say, you have seen him, you're still seeing him. And he's talking to you right now. What would that be like? You know, this is Jehovah God, the great I am, the almighty, the transcendent one, the eternal one. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, Yahweh God, before Abraham was, I am. That's taken on human skin. Grew up in a carpenter shop. And that eternal one in a human frame has this guy saying, you've seen him, you're seeing him right now. And he's talking to you right now. I mean, did he see eternity in his eyes? What was that like? I guarantee you this. This guy's thinking, you know, I've seen all these new things. I mean, I've seen the sky, I've seen the trees, I've seen children. And I always wondered what they looked like. I've, you know, I saw a butterfly. Somebody had to tell me what it was. You know, I seen. But whatever I see, if I lived a thousand years. If I live to be as old as Methuselah, I am certain that these eyes will never gaze upon another thing so filled with wonder as what I'm looking at now. And that voice, oh, that voice, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Do you believe in the Son of God? Who is he? looking at you, right? You've seen him, you're seeing him, and you are hearing him. And then he says, Lord, that's no longer sir. King Jim says, Lord, I believe. The Greek says, then he said, I believe, Lord. And it says he worshiped him. It doesn't say that, you know, we say seeing is believing. It doesn't say he did see. He didn't see and believe. He heard and believed. Because he was looking right at him. He didn't see and believe. He heard. 
and believe. It's important because in the end of John, John's going to talk about Thomas. And Jesus is going to say to him, Thomas, he falls down, my Lord, my God. You, you believe because you've seen? Blessed are those who believe without seeing. That's us this morning. It doesn't say if you see, you'll believe. It says if you hear. It was the word of the Lord. I'm the one. That's what made him believe. The word of the Lord. And it's I am believing. The word worship there speaks of prostration, adoration. He hits the ground, looks into his face, hears what he says, and he goes down. Isn't it interesting? He drops off the page. We don't see him anymore. He falls down. We just say, see you later. We're going to see him soon, by the way. But the Holy Spirit leaves him in the most suitable position he could ever be in, and that is as a worshiper. And when we see him, he will be there with us. Thou art worthy to take the seal and open the, the scroll of the seals thereof, for thou was slain and hast redeemed us from every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. That's where he's left. That's where we'll see him again. A worshiper, as, as we all are now that we have had our spiritual blindness healed as well. He's gone. Now, verse 39 then says this. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not... Now he's talking about spiritual sight here. Might see. And that they which see, only physical sight, might be made blind. You know, he had said in chapter 8, he said, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. Here he's saying, For judgment... I am come into this world, that they which see not, they might come into the light, they're not going to walk in darkness, they might actually see and continue seeing, and that they which see might be made, heirless, come to a fixed position of blindness. He said he's come into the world to judge those things. That one person should see and another person should remain blind. That's how judgment applies in this verse. Now look, it does not contradict chapter 3. Chapter 3, we're told that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. The, the chapter 3 tells us God's purpose. What did God want to accomplish? Why was the reason that he sent his son? It was for salvation. 
human history is interrupted. All history is A.D. and, you know, B.C., not B.C.E., the stupidity of before the common era, uh, before Christ and Ado Domini, the year of our Lord, the whole world. The whole world is like that. And God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Look, there's all kinds of other good things that go on around us. We encourage people today to vote. There's all kinds of political stuff, and there's all kinds of moral and immoral stuff. There's all kinds of international intrigue. There's all kinds of stuff that get caught up around us, and I'm afraid sometimes the church gets caught up in that. Now, we should be involved in things. We should be good citizens. We should re reflect a biblical value in our attitudes towards our generation and so forth. But we can lose track. You know, there are Christians more excited about the return of Donald Trump than the return of Jesus Christ. There's something wrong with that. Because God sent his son into the world not to be a Republican or a conservative or a liberal or a Democrat. He sent his son into the world that we might be saved. That's the center of everything. You know, last service, wonderful 12-year-old girl came up weeping and got saved. And I looked at her standing there, I think in 18, early 1800s, Alexander Sweeten, preacher, said, the conversion of one sinner is more significant than the deliverance of an entire kingdom from temporal evil. The conversion of one sinner, because we're talking about eternity, is more significant than the deliverance of an entire kingdom from temporary evil. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. It says this was God's purpose. This was the reason he sent his son into the world. But here's the deal. Once his son is in the world... It tells us the result of that is judgment. Because once he steps into the pool of humanity, now there's accepting or rejecting. The purpose he came was for salvation. His coming into the world now creates an environment where people either reject or accept, and there's judgment. And by the world, way here, it says he came for judgment, crime. It's the only time in the book of John that word is used. And it isn't necessarily negative. It, it, it come to a verdict. The judgment is either an acquittal or a condemnation. It's both. He says that. The Son of Man has come into the world for judgment so that those who are spiritually blind might see and those who think they see may end up blind. There's a, there's a dividing line there because now there's a chance to accept or reject. Now we can accept Christ as Savior. Anyone here today? God didn't send his son into this world to condemn the world, but so that you might be saved. 
He hears about you. He'll come. He finds you. He asks your hard questions. Do you believe you personally, forget about everybody else, you for yourself believe in the Son of God? And he says, for judgment, now he tells us, I am come into this world that they which see not might see, and they which see may come to a settled, a fixed position of blindness. That's terrifying. And some of the Pharisees noticed this which were with him. I have a question mark. Are they with him to dog him? to wait for him to slip up and say something he shouldn't say? Or are there those who are listening? Because some of them had said, a sinner can't open the eyes of the blind. How can this guy just do this if he's a sinner? And we know Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea are going to be speaking up for him. Are they part of this crowd following? We don't know. Some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are you trying to say we're blind? Are you saying we're blind also? And religious people will do that, won't they? Lord, are you trying to say that we're blind? We can always answer that question. Second Corinthians tells us this. If our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, they say they don't believe in God, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in their hearts. Again, Ephesians chapter 4 says this, It says, This I say, therefore, Paul, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles, walking in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of of their hearts. First John, John in a further letter, will say this, but he that hateth his brother is in darkness. We look at the world, are you kidding? And walketh in the darkness and knoweth not where he's going because that darkness has blinded his minds. You know, this is an issue of seeing and not seeing. And it's in a spiritual context. The guy was healed physically, but Jesus still had to bring him to the point where he healed the secondary blindness, which was the the most prominent and important one. And then Jesus talks to the religious world. His heart is broken for the Pharisees. His heart is broken for that world. And he he says, the problem is, you know, I came into the world to to make that judgment, to to decide, to, to say who those were who were acquitted and those who were permanently in darkness. I have to make that. Father's committed all judgment to the Son. What are you trying to say? We're blind, the religious community says. And Jesus said to them, well, if you were blind, 
you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth is presently remaining. John Phillips translated this way, and I like it. If you were blind, said Jesus, nobody could blame you. But as you insist, we can see your guilt remains. If they knew they were blind, they would have no sin. Those things change. It's imperfect. You should have none and continue to have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin, present tense, is remaining. It is existing today. It's remaining. And they never demonstrated their blindness in in a greater measure than when they killed their own Messiah. When they killed their own Messiah. And the chapter closes. We never meet the blind man again in the scripture. I think, no doubt, he becomes a follower of Christ. I know I would. Have my sight returned and then have my spiritual eyes open and realize I'm looking in the face of Almighty God. I'm sure he becomes a follower. And just think what he sees with his healed eyes in six months. Christ is on the cross. I hope that he won his fearful parents to the Lord. I hope he was able to speak to them and we meet them in glory when we meet him. But I think as you read through this, you know, uh, it reads like John was there. And again, he was in the house of Caiaphas. Caiaphas knew his family. Could have been. I don't know. If not, this story is given to the disciples and John is writing, remembering the blind guy that became a disciple. They must have said, well, what happened when you were in there? What did they do to you? What did they say? The guy said, it's just a crazy day. You know what the Lord did? He rubbed my eyes with the mud. I went down. I washed. I came seeing. I couldn't believe it. I'm looking at trees and I'm looking at the sky and I'm looking at the Mount of Olives and kids. And, and I'm coming up and I, I went to my neighborhood and I said, my neighbors were there. And they said, this is this guy was blind. And he said, then the other one started saying, no, he just looks like him. That ain't him. And he said, I'm standing in the middle screaming, I am him. That's who I am. I am. I am him. I'm him. And, and it says, then they say, well, what happened? And I said, well, a man named Jesus told me to go wash in Siloam. And I came seeing. So then they drag him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, what, has, what happened? I watched and I see. His story's getting shorter the whole time. He's looking a little aggravated. He finally got his sight and he's drug into this. And they look at each other, the Pharisees, and they say, well, this guy's got to be a sinner. He breaks the Sabbath. No regard for the Sabbath. The other half, the Jews are arguing with each other. They're saying, well, how can a guy be a sinner if he opened the eyes of the blind? Go get him. Ask him again. So they drag him back in. Tell us again. He opened my eyes. I see. He's a prophet. We don't even believe you're blind. Go get his parents and drag them in. We don't know if it's the first time the parents see their son. Or vice versa. Threefold question. Is this your son? Is this the one you claim was blind? 
And how doth he now see? Parents. We know this is our son. Are they crying, holding him? We know he was born blind. But how he sees. Now, legally, they couldn't answer because they weren't eyewitness. But they're afraid of the Jews because of that anger against Jesus and the threat of excommunication for anyone who says he's the Messiah. So they say, ask him. He's of age. He can talk. He's always been able to talk. He just couldn't see. Ask him. And they'd say, tell us again what happened. He says, oy vey. You, know, you can imagine him telling John and the guys. I said, are you kidding me? You're, I already told you three times. You need to hear it again. What's your problem? You probably want to become his disciples too. The guys must have gone, you know, John must have laughed. He's still the son of thunder at that point. And then they screamed at me and said, yeah, well, we're Moses' disciples. This guy, we don't know where he's from. Isn't that a funny thing? This guy's opened my eyes, and you don't know where he's from. We know this, includes himself with them, that God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners. If someone's a righteous man and walks with him, he hears their prayer now. Anywhere in our Old Testament, is there any history that someone was born blind, had their eyes open? So, the obvious conclusion, God doesn't hear sinners. This guy prayed. My eyes are open. He can't be a sinner. What do you think you are, you country bumpkin? You come in here, we're the theological professors. You're going to teach us, and they throw him out. They threw him out. The disciples are probably saying, don't feel bad. We, we feel your pain. He said, but then he came. I heard that voice again. I heard the voice again. He came to me. Didn't know where he was. Didn't know what he looked like. Do you believe in the Son of God? Where is he, Lord, that I might believe? He says, you're looking at me. I'm talking to you. He must have said this. It blew my mind. I went down, man. Boom! On the ground at his feet. I worshipped. And while I was down there, the Lord ripped the religious community up and down one more time. And had them saying, what are you trying to say? We're blind. John says, these things are recorded that we might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing we might have life through his name. I encourage you. Um, you have to make a decision. God didn't come so you'd be condemned. He came so you could be saved. You have to decide. I don't need that. I already see. I know what's going on. Well, you're going to eventually harden to the point where you're fixed in that blindness. Or in your heart, you might be saying, I know I need to see something. I'm empty. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I'm running on empty. I'm desperate sometimes. I can put on a good front, but I got nothing left. If that's you today, 
He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to give you life. Jesus said, of course, if you're willing to confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father and all of the angels in heaven. So as the musicians come and we sing our last song, you know, it's a great time for you and I, brothers and sisters, to say, am I at his feet? Has my heart where it needs to be? But for those of you who are never, you've never come to Jesus, forget about Calvary Chapel, forget about religion, forget about priests and pastors. Have you ever come to Jesus? Is he today saying to you, do you believe that I'm the son of God? And if you do, and you want to make that decision today, I encourage you as we sing this last song, Get out of your seat. Come stand down here. We want to pray with you. We want to give you a Bible. We don't want your phone number. We don't want your email. We don't want your address. We don't want anything from you. We want everything for you because God gave his best. He sent his son. We want everything for you. So let's stand. Let's pray together. If you've never come to Christ, you need to do that today. You listen in your heart. You'll know it. Father, I knew you've overheard. Lord, we Look to you, and Lord, for all of us that are your sons and daughters, make us better worshipers, Lord. Make us more surrendered, Lord, in, in wonderful ways, Lord, in your presence, where we will be throughout eternity. And Lord, we do pray for anyone here today who's only had religion and never a relationship. They've never come to you, Lord. You, we pray you would draw them. Your word says you add daily to the church such as should be saved. It's your work. It's not ours. So Lord, we're going to lift our hearts and our voices in praise. Lord, we pray you would speak clearly enough, Lord, to the hearts of those that may be here, maybe not, but if there's any here, Lord, that have never come, that today would be their day. You would draw them, Lord. We look to you. We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.